This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for August 9th, 2019. In this week's episode, Apple suspends Siri response grading, Microsoft says it listens to Skype and Cortana conversations, AT&T workers are bribed to unlock phones, and more on cryptojacking. Now here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long. If you listened to last week's episode, you will have noticed that I dropped in a little update at the very last minute after we had recorded the episode on Thursday, and just as I was about to publish it on Friday, Apple had, in the middle of the night U.S. time, fortunately I'm in the U.K., so it literally happened just before I was about to publish the episode, they had announced that they were going to stop Siri response grading. Siri response grading is what we talked about in last week's episode, which is essentially people listening to what you ask Siri. And not only did Apple stop this, but Google and Amazon have stopped this. So this is turning into a big deal that all of these companies are realizing that there is an issue going on. Right. Yeah. This is a funny thing because this all sort of happened back to back to back. We heard about all of these different uh, services that are listening to your conversations uh, that, are, that are recording them in some cases without, you know, really making it super clear to you that that's what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, with most of these things, yeah, there's some privacy agreement that you have to sign when you first start using the service, but, you know, they kind of just assume that everyone is reading these things or probably more accurately that they at least claim to be agreeing to these things, whether they've actually read them or not, which gives them legal clearance to do the recordings and things that they're doing. Um, but of course, Apple being a very privacy-oriented, privacy-focused company, according to their marketing campaigns anyway, you know, it looks really bad for Apple to have been doing this. And so they just decided, okay, fine, we're suspending that program. We're not going to do that. We understand that you have privacy concerns. They're valid. And so we're, we're done. Yes. And of course, once Apple does something, everyone else copies. So Amazon and Google came out shortly thereafter and said the same thing. Uh, we're, we're linking to an article in TechCrunch by Matthew Panzerino um, from seven days ago talking about Apple's response. And, and Apple said that it is, under 1% of daily requests to Siri. Now, I'm not really sure what the numbers are, but Apple has at some point touted the number of Siri requests that are made. It's in the billions or tens of billions. So 1% is still an awful lot. Well, right. I mean, 1% is <laughs> huge. If you think about how many times a day, probably the average iPhone user or Mac user is using Siri probably on the iPhone more than any other device. But, uh, but I mean, look, even Apple TV, even your Apple watch, even your home pod. I mean, you can do Siri on a whole bunch of different devices. It's basically every, yeah, so Apple people device. who are big Siri users are easily making a hundred requests a day. So that's one request per day for each of those people. And that actually comes to be quite a bit. 
Right, right. And I, I don't know if they consider voice dictation through Siri to be part of the same thing. I don't know if they're also analyzing your voice when you're doing voice dictation as well, or whether that was part of it or not. But if you're also counting that, then basically any time that you're doing any kind of dictation, you know, that could all also have been recorded too. If you want to use voice dictation on the Mac, you turn this on in the keyboard pane of System Preferences, the button that says about dictation and privacy. And it says when you use dictation, you can choose to have either your Mac or Apple servers perform the speech recognition for you. If you use enhanced dictation, the Mac converts what you say into text without sending your dictated speech to Apple. When you use Siri and non-enhanced dictation, the things you say will be recorded and sent to Apple to process your request. Now, it's interesting because just this morning I was looking into voice control, which is a new combination of existing features in macOS that are being enhanced for Catalina. And it very clearly says that all processing is done on your Mac and that nothing is sent. Now, this is voice control. This isn't Siri. This is a separate thing. Voice control lets you say, you know, open Safari, click. The, the, this button and, and control the finder without using your keyboard, your, your mouse or your trackpad. But it's very clearly mentioned that all of the processing is done on your Mac. And that, that's kind of interesting that they're making that distinction. That's a really good point about the way that this works in on the Mac about how voice dictation works in particular. So if, if you try to um, enable Siri on your Mac, it will ask, do you want to enable Siri uh, enable Ask Siri, and then it says Siri sends information like your voice input, contacts, and location to Apple to process your requests. Um, and so you have to actually choose to enable that. They have a button within that dialog box to Siri's privacy policy and so forth. Um, I, w- what I was actually thinking about before was I'm thinking of like when you're on the road and you know you get a text message and you say you know, the activation word, Siri, read my text messages. And then it will ask you, do you want to respond? And when you're responding, you're, you're dictating something and Siri is converting that into text for you. Um, so that, because it's going through Siri, you know, that's definitely something, a, a case where Siri would probably be, have, have been recording you before. Yes, that's all done on Apple service. If you don't have an internet connection, you can't use dictation on an iOS device like that. That that keyboard on the iPhone is really tiny and, and it's not real buttons, so I don't like typing on it. So I'll just tap the little microphone and dictate because I know how to dictate. I've been dictating um, for 20 years, I think, was 20 years ago uh, when IBM came out with ViaVoice. That was the first dictation software for Mac. So I know, comma, that in order to dictate efficiently, comma, you have to speak in a certain way, period new paragraph. And dictating like that, I can dictate long emails, then I'll go back and proofread them. But if I don't have an internet connection, I can't. Now, on the Mac, the enhanced dictation, it says, allows offline use and continuous dictation with live feedback. So let's say you're on a MacBook Pro and you don't have an internet connection. You can use the enhanced dictation to dictate and nothing will be sent to the servers. That's good. That's good. By the way, I'm going to have to remember the new paragraph thing. I always do new line, new line, which is stupid because 
if I can just say new paragraph, then that makes it a little faster for me. So thank you. for There the are tons of tricks that you need to learn about how to dictate. See, I used Dragon Naturally Speaking for many years. Dragon Dictate has had a number of names, and, and that has been um, discontinued on the Mac. So it's really good that Apple's coming up with this new voice control feature, which, as I said, it includes controlling apps on your Mac and clicking buttons, as well as the voice dictation. Uh, but you do have to learn these tricks about what to say to correct things. Um, do you know how to capitalize a letter when you're dictating? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I have some cap, good cap news for you, Josh! Exclamation point. Oh, really? Did you, Did you say cap, cap before? Yeah, cap just before a word without too much time between cap and the word. I'm not sure if it works correctly on iOS. In Dragon Dictate, you would say caps on to have something in all caps, and then you would say caps off. Man, we're going to have to talk after the show because i got to learn more of these tricks. I'll, I'll teach them to you. Um, so we talked about Apple and Google and Amazon, but there's also Microsoft, and we have an article here in Security Week. Microsoft says it listens to conversations only with permission. Um, yeah, only with permission. <laughs> okay. So this is Cortana that we're talking about or Cortana and which, Skype uh, and, and also Skype. Yes. Also Skype. Yes. And we actually use Skype for recording our podcasts. Um, you know, we've got people in three different time zones. Uh, I'm here in, in California. We've got our producer on the East coast, uh, time, Eastern time zone. And then we've got Kirk all the way over in the UK. So we're all over the place. Uh, and so Skype kind of makes sense for, for recording for us. At the same time, we know that, you know, Skype has a reputation, especially since it was acquired by Microsoft many years ago, of being something that supposedly could be listened into by a government, you know, who requests access to Skype conversations. There have been, you know, leaks and rumors and things about that for years now. So um, this is interesting that Microsoft is finally making a public statement about this and uh, also referring to Cortana as well. For Skype, it's only when it's using voice translation features. It's not listening into normal calls. Um, so I don't think they're listening to us today, Josh. Hmm. Well, maybe. <laughs> okay. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll have some more news. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego. 
devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, so before we go on to more news, Josh reminded me that we have to mention that Apple is, of course, being sued. There's a class action suit against Apple for, and I quote, unlawful and intentional recording of individuals' confidential communications on Siri without their consent. The problem is the people did give consent, didn't they? They just didn't read the terms and conditions. <laughs> it's one of those things that if you're not reading the terms and conditions and claiming to have read them when you agree, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if you can really say that you weren't informed. It's more that you chose not to be informed technically from a legal perspective. So we'll, we'll see how this, uh, class action lawsuit goes. But of course, honestly, really anytime that anything happens and Apple is somehow involved, there's going to be a lawsuit because Apple's got deep pockets and, you know, you know, lawyers are excited to get in on anything having to do with suing Apple. So I'm, I'm really not surprised to see Apple getting sued over this. Did this happen to Microsoft at the same level back in the day when they were the big dog? I don't seem to remember that many class action suits. You know, I, I suspect that they're probably were more than we knew about just because it's one of those things. Yeah. They just weren't publicized. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, we're Apple geeks. Yeah. Fair point. Okay. Are you off to Las Vegas this week? Uh, no, you know, I thought a lot about it. There's three different conferences actually going on back to back or overlapping with each other, uh, in Las Vegas every year, right around this time. Uh, there's black hat, which is going on right now as we're recording this, uh, there's also, uh, DEF CON, and then there's also a B-Sides conference that all overlap with each other in Vegas, uh, basically during the same week. Um, so a lot of great information always comes out during these conferences. There's a lot of hackers who find some really clever hack, some clever way to exploit something, and they save it for their talk at Black Hat or DEF CON so that they can, you know, surprise the world. So there's always some really good, interesting stuff that comes out of these conferences, which I'm sure some something from the conferences we will be talking about next week. Okay, we're going to link to an article in Forbes whose Apple coverage isn't always entirely reliable, we have to admit. They seem to have a habit these days of publishing articles pretty much every other day about the shocking new information about the next iPhone. But they are talking about something related to Black Hat. And now, a while ago, we talked about the bug bounty program that different um, vendors run and that Apple runs one. And Apple does have a bug bounty program for iOS. Apparently, they will be announcing a Mac bug bounty program. And they will be giving hackers, as Forbes says, secret iPhones in a bid to boost security. I don't know what that means about secret iPhones. They're going to give them special versions of the iPhone. What what would you think would be different? Would it have different software on it, different hardware? Well, that's the idea. And by the way, before we get too far into this discussion, we should say that we're recording this Thursday morning and we're going to be releasing this Friday morning. So supposedly this stuff is going to happen today as we're recording this. So probably by the time we release this, we'll, we'll know one way or the other whether this actually happened at Black Hat. But this is the rumor. And, and so 
if you hear a drop in from me at some <laughs> point um, after this discussion, you'll know that something was publicized overnight or Friday morning my time that was worth it. Right. So Thomas Brewster, by the way, is the uh, the Forbes staff member who wrote this article. I do trust him. He's usually a very reliable reporter. And, uh, you know, I don't know who his sources are. Of course, he can't say who his sources are, but he's usually pretty trustworthy. So here's what he said. He said that um, in terms of what this iPhone means, it's probably somewhere in between uh, what the Apple developers get and the beta versions that go out to, you know, beta testers in the general public, you know, uh, Apple developers. So it's somewhere in between there. That's what he's speculating or his source is speculating. And the reason for that is because Apple developers, people who work at Apple who are developing the operating system need a deeper level of access. And Apple doesn't probably want to give that level of access to all these security researchers too. Um, there's certain things that Apple doesn't want to make completely transparent to the general public, which, I mean, let's face it, security researchers are part of the general public. And there's a huge temptation if they know some things that are not available to the general public to leak some of those things, uh, whether they do it anonymously or not. Uh, you know, obviously, if they give their name, they're going to be kicked out of the program, but maybe they don't care, you know. And so I think it makes sense for Apple to give them a little bit better access or more access to things from a permissions standpoint so that they can look deeper into the operating system than your average user and try to find vulnerabilities as long as, and of course, this is the whole point of the program, is so that those security researchers, those hackers can actually report what they find to Apple so that Apple can fix any problems before they become generally known to the public. Okay, that sounds complicated. Are you going to get one? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I would be accepted into this program. No, I, ha I haven't heard anything from Apple yet about this. But of course, it hasn't been officially announced yet as we're recording this. So we'll see. And even if you do hear something, you're going to be signing an NDA. So you can't even tell us. I probably won't be able to tell you anyway. Um, but but as you alluded to, there is something else about a bug bounty program that supposedly is going to be announced today. Um, we've discussed before the idea that, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that Apple does not have a Mac OS bug bounty program. There's nothing. If you find a vulnerability in a Mac or in Mac OS in the operating system, Mac OS, there's nothing that you can do right now to get any money from Apple for reporting, even no matter how major these flaws are, Apple's not going to pay you for what you find, um, which means that people are then in the position of having to choose, do I give this bug to Apple for free, which professional security researchers generally will not do, um, or to sell it to some, you know, gray market site that deals in vulnerability sales. And, uh, you know, it, it it's something where you, you kind of know that a lot of the buyers of these vulnerabilities are going to be nation states, you know, they're going to be government entities that have deep pockets and are looking for ways to exploit phones so they can hack into uh, an individual phone here or there to get information, to spy on people, that kind of thing. So um, this is great because 
you know, there are a lot of people who use Macs, including some very high value targets who use Macs. And we want to have Mac users protected. So I think this would be a great thing. And hopefully Apple will today announce a macOS bug bounty program. And if they do, we'll have details about that in our next episode. And hopefully you can find some bugs to submit to Apple. That would be really awesome. We've got an interesting article from Graham Cluley about AT&T workers bribed to install malware on company network and unlock iPhones. And I've been scratching my head and reading this several times and trying to figure out Apparently, a bunch of AT&T workers were bribed up to a million dollars. Impressionable AT&T staff recruited via Facebook and telephone. And, well, unlocking an iPhone, this doesn't mean that you your iPhone that you own has been unlocked and someone's hacked into it. All it means is that there is a certain carrier lock on your phone if you buy it from a carrier. And in general, it lasts the length of time of your contract that you have to pay off, let's say it's a two-year contract, and at the end of the contract, you can call your provider, you get a little code that you can enter to unlock it. All it looks like is that they were unlocking AT&T phones early so people could move them to other carriers. Am I understanding this correctly? That's sort of what it looks like, yeah, which is sort of bizarre because, so the headline is, AT&T workers bribed to install malware on company network and unlock phones. So they're making it sound like this is some big conspiracy, right? I, I don't I don't see how having a phone that's locked to a carrier is a significant enough problem that it's really necessary to stick any kind of malware on on a, a carrier's network just to unlock iPhones. It sounds so bizarre to me. Yeah, it's a little bit strange. Um, I've never had a carrier phone, so I've never had to deal with this. Have you? Um, well, I've, I've never tried to move a phone from one network to another. Um, so I, I've, I've never really had a problem. I guess probably back in the day I did used to buy my phones from a carrier. Now, of course I just buy them directly from Apple, but, um, and, and that's the other thing that kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit about this. Cause how many phones are still sold by a carrier and locked to a carrier? Oh, lots. No, lots. There's an awful lot of phones are sold like that, sure. I think it's still the most common way for most people. Uh, While Apple has come out with their uh, upgrade uh, plan where you pay off monthly, uh, a lot of people are going to be paying less through phone companies. I've always bought unlocked phones because I've been able to. It's only a few years ago in the States that you could buy unlocked phones directly from Apple. Um, But when I lived in France previously and here in the UK, they've always been available and I've never liked the idea of being tied into a carrier for a long period of time. Um, one of the ways carriers make a lot of money, and if you have a carrier contract, think about this. They'll charge you a certain amount for your phone for, let's say, two years. But just at random, you're paying 50 bucks for your phone and your contract. And at the end of the two years, you've paid off the cost of the phone. So you really only need to be paying for your mobile contract. But unless you ask some of the carriers, they won't reduce that amount. And you'll keep paying the same amount, which may be twice as much as you should. Um, Carrier contracts can be good because they can be less expensive. It could be that a lot of businesses do that as well, have carrier contracts because they have big fleets of phones. Um, But it's not something I've ever done, so I've never had to worry about it. Okay, an interesting article about crypto jacking. If you've listened to the podcast a lot, we've talked about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and crypto jacking is when a website or malware 
uh, installed on your computer uses your processor to mine cryptocurrency. Basically, it performs a lot of mathematical operations, which end up, through some magic that I still don't understand, making money out of nothing. And and one of the problems with this is you may go on a website and there may be a script, a JavaScript that's doing this. And it's hitting your processor. It's hitting your battery. It's making your device overheat. An article in ZDNet says that three ads generate 5.5 times more revenue than a web-based crypto jacking script. In other words, there's so little money made from crypto jacking on a website because you're not there very long that ads actually make more money. So it makes you wonder the only reason anyone would want to do crypto jacking on a website is if they've maliciously installed something on the website that they're not running the website. And so they're taking advantage of it, right? Yeah, probably. And, and so, so the reason that I thought this article was worth talking about this week is because we've talked about crypto jacking before. We talked about the idea of mining cryptocurrencies in your browser, which often is done somewhat surreptitiously, either so there's a couple of ways that it can be done. One way is that, you know, a legitimate website may choose to ask you first, hey, what kind of experience do you want when you're looking at our site? Do you want an ad-free experience? Okay, great. We've got this option for you to mine cryptocurrency on our behalf, and it's going to use up your processor, you know, but if you don't mind, we can give you an ad-free experience, or we can give you ads, just like a normal website. And so this is something that we've seen not on too many sites. It was kind of an experiment, I think, more than anything. Um, There weren't too many sites that decided to give users an option like this. But what we have seen more of in the past, and it's been a while, um, this kind of happened a lot more last year that we were hearing stories about cryptocurrency mining in the browser. And, and the idea of crypto jacking is where a website without your permission starts mining for cryptocurrencies and using your processing cycles. And so a, there, there are a couple of different ways that it can happen. Either a website owner chooses to put something on the page and just not disclose it to you. Or the other way is, as you were talking about, a hacker, you know, puts a script and in, injects a script into someone else's web page. They hack into a page, they add a script that will generate some theoretically generate some revenue for them through mining cryptocurrencies. Uh, so, so that's kind of the idea behind crypto jacking a brief review on that. We haven't heard much about it for a while. And the main reason for that, I think, is because it's just not lucrative enough. And we kind of even knew this a year ago or so when we last really talked about um, a particular crypto jacking script being, you know, injected into a whole bunch of different sites. And at the time, I think they made, gosh, I don't know, uh, a few tens of dollars maybe until this was discovered. Like it wasn't really worth anybody's time to inject this into all these different websites. Well, what this article points out is that the only way for it to work is for users to stay on a website for a long time. Now, the only way to get someone to stay on a website is, let's say, have an embedded video that people are going to watch. So if they're going to watch a video for a half hour, then they'll get a half an hour of your processing hour. But otherwise, you read an article and then you bounce to something else. Although, if you've got a tab open in your browser, 
and you're not looking at it, let's say you've opened some tabs for articles you want to read later, that will still be active, won't it? Yeah, it does depend on your browser and how your browser is designed. Um, of course, browsers can be designed so that tabs that are in the you know not in the foreground uh, have their processing power killed. And I think some browsers do that. Off the top of my head, I don't know which ones do and which ones don't. Um, but it is certainly the case that some browsers will give full processing power access to any browser tabs that may be in the background. Um, so that is something that could happen. Another thing where, you know, talking about spending a lot of time on a, on a page, there are a lot of websites where you can find, you know, obviously copyright infringing copies of movies and things like that, or, or TV shows. And those would be the kinds of sites where you can get someone to stay at a page a long time because they're going to be viewing it in the browser. So, uh, I could definitely see this as being something where those, you know, very sketchy and obviously illegal in most jurisdictions type of sites, uh, could generate some revenue. Not that I'm giving anybody any ideas cause I'm sure they've already thought. No, of this. <laughs> I'm sure they have. Um, the article does point out that most crypto jacking operations went dead after the coin hive service shut down in March, 2019. Right. And that most websites still running in browser miners are abandoned sites that have been hacked in the past two years and that nobody bothered to clean them. Yep. So crypto jacking less a problem than it was even a year ago at this point in time. So um, it's still something to be aware of. Um, if if you ever do notice that your fans on your laptop are going crazy, um, you know, it's something to take a look at your browsing tabs and see what's going on. It may not necessarily be crypto mining. It may be ads, you know, full, you know, video ads or something like that. That's taking a lot of processing power, but it could be cryptocurrency mining. So just something to be aware of. Or it might be Skype, right? <laughs> or it might be Skype. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we've ever mentioned on the show, but for some reason, Skype on my computer and I've had multiple computers where I've had this problem. Uh, the the fans on my MacBook will go crazy, super loud, just by running Skype video uh, calls. Yeah, one time a couple months ago, you had to go down into your garage where it was cooler. <laughs> I did. Um, to be able to not have too much noise. I don't understand because it rarely happens to me. It it used to, it does happen when I use a laptop, but I haven't used a laptop for Skype very much in a long time. Um, but if I look right now at the amount of processor power that Skype is using, it's using about 60 to 70%. Wow. And that's of 400%. Oh, that's of the 400% of the four cores. I use iStat menus and it presents the um, processor usage like that as a percentage of a core. So it's not that much when you think about it. Hmm. Well, in any case, cryptocurrency mining is still out there, so it's good to be aware of, but thankfully it's not as much of a problem as it has been in the past. Okay, I think that's enough for this week. Now, as I said earlier, if I drop something in about Black Hat in some major announcement, you'll certainly recognize that it sounds a little bit different. We look forward to what transpires at Black Hat, and I'm sure we'll have some interesting news. So until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. 
Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>